The following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. Hello and welcome to The Other Wrestling Show. My name is Joel and I'm here as always with Mike. And we are going to break down St. Patrick's Day Slam, this week's edition of AEW Dynamite. Uh, Mike, hit the drop. Stock up, stock down. All right, Joel, I think we have one place to start with, and that's John Silver is the number one contender. Right? Right? Uh, I think there was something else that happened that was, uh, you know, maybe (laughs) the most significant thing that's happened on AEW television to date. Uh, And I don't think that's hyperbole. (laughs) The main event of the evening, uh, Thunder Rosa versus Britt Baker in a lights out falls count anywhere. No disqualification, unsanctioned match to polish off their bitter rivalry. Mike. I have so many things about this match I want to talk about, uh, but I want to give you the floor. You just finished watching this match right before we started recording. What are your immediate thoughts? Holy hell, dude. I, I Not only was this one of the most insane hardcore, sorry, insane women's matches I've ever seen. This is one of the most insane, like hardcore matches I've seen on TV, on free TV ever across any promotion. And Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker, they ended up, I saw they got a standing ovation backstage post show. They deserved every little, every bit of it. It was amazing. This was insane. And what I loved, obviously I love the match, but what I liked about how they built up to it throughout the night is you never heard for the first time ever, the women are main eventing dynamite. It was like, no, this is the first lights out main event lights out on dynamite ever. Like it was just a big deal and they didn't have to keep touching on why it's historic, why it's historic, why it's historic. They didn't go full WWE mode and pat their backs the entire night. So good there. And this match was insane. The blood, the thumbtack spots, like that power bomb from Rosa, that was like the most stiff uh, (laughs) thumbtack spot I think I've ever seen. Um, Just, yeah, insane. I, I, maybe one of the most significant women's matches in wrestling history. And I don't feel like that's hyperbole. I I really don't. I think uh, it, it felt like a big moment without them trying to make it feel like a big moment to what you were saying before. I think that these two women went out and had an incredible wrestling match. Full stop. This is one of the best matches we've seen on dynamite. As you mentioned, it's one of the most brutal matches we've seen on free television ever across any company you want to point to. Uh, You know, even ECW saved their really brutal, violent, bloody matches for their pay-per-views for the most part. You know, you weren't seeing uh, on a a regular episode thumbtacks and people going through tables and people getting color early on in the match, I might add. And uh, Brit in particular, bleeding all over everywhere the entire match And, you know, we've talked a lot about the ascension of Britt Baker and how much she has improved. Uh, But one of the things that she's been good at from the very beginning and continues to be great at is finding the hard cam. She is so good at striking a pose, looking directly into the camera. And when she's got blood streaking down her face and lining her teeth 
and she's smiling into the camera with that going on. It, it just it gives you chills. She was incredible in this match. Thunder Rosa was amazing. The finish of this match was unreal. We saw mm-hmm. a, you know, a, a driver, Fire Thunder driver from the apron to the floor through a table and Britt ended up with most of her body underneath the ring and of course falls count anywhere. So what do mm-hmm. you do? You cover her right there on the floor. One, two, three, the match is over. And, you know, no one came down with flowers after the match. We didn't see the promoter come out and give them a hug. Yep. You know, this was, they weren't trying to create some kind of symbolic moment. They just let Rosa and Britt go out and have the best match they could have. And mm-hmm. I, I think they proved they belong there, you know, for anyone who was doubting for anyone who has shit to say about the women's division in AEW. And we've been critical of the booking, um, mm-hmm. but we've always been positive and supportive on the talent within the division. Exactly. And I think this is kind of vindication of what we've been talking about. You know, the division is great. Give them the space to run, give them time. And this is the kind of magic that you're going to get. Yeah, this, like you said, it wasn't forced. It felt natural. Everyone performs just like the professionals they are. And yeah, this this is a this is a huge moment for the AEW's women division. Uh, what's the one thing, Joel, that me and you have talked about that WWE just cannot do? It's a feud without the women's belt. <laughs> like, yeah. I can't think of a good WWE women's feud with, that doesn't involve the championship ever. Um, and the fact well, that I'll add a caveat to that, that that's not it's it's two things, right? They can do two things. They can make it about the belt and they can make it about a male talent. And if there's not a man in between the two women or there's not a title on the line, then it's not going to be a sustained storyline in the other wrestling company. But AEW has shown that they can do that. You know, we have this ongoing Jade Cargill and Red Velvet stuff going Mm -hmm. on, and there's no title involved there either. And so I think something that AEW is doing is starting to do uh, that the other wrestling company has never done well is simply book the women the same way you would book the men. Yep. Yeah. And this, there, there, as I, I don't know how to say this, there, there was nothing, nothing about this story was about them being women, <laughs> you know, like, or like you said, there wasn't a man involved. These were just two wrestlers who over the last few months have learned to hate each other. And we talk about that matches that involve this level of hate need to end with certain styles of matches. It's what the hell in the cell used to be. This lights out match, the um, exploding barbed wire death match. Like that's what these matches are for blood feuds. And this, this was, I think the perfect ending to this, this story. Um, I think all, both of them looked incredibly strong. I think they both come out of this feud better than they were before it started. Um, And yeah, seeing Britt Baker wearing the crimson mask in the middle of the ring. I can't ever recall that much blood in a women's match and usually when you see it it's usually accidental like she was bleeding like stone cold steve austin out there yeah man i mean she was like rick flair too like just pouring oh my god (laughs) yeah i mean not that that's what i want to see in wrestling in general uh but in the context of this conversation like they went all out 
and yeah. it was everything that I wanted from this match. And, uh, you know, good for them. Good for the division. Good for AEW. This was fantastic. Yeah, it, it really was. I, I'm just, I'm proud. <laughs> I'm proud of them. And I, I'm just excited that they got that spot. They earned that spot. Um, and I think what did we, this time last year, we were talking about we need stars in the division. We need stars in the division. There are stars now in the AEW women's division, multiple stars, and I think they're just getting started in what this division can really be. AEW kind of did focuses, right? The tag team division was hot from the start. Then it took a little bit of time to build up that men's division with Moxley as champion. Um, seemed to have gotten the singles division right with that in the TNT title, and it seems like they finally have a grasp of how to book this women's division. And that's exciting because now all three phases, it's a football cliche. All three phases of the game need to be working to win. Well, they have all three phases clicking right now and it's, it's exciting. Yeah, it's great stuff. And I think this is the kind of match that's going to affect your ability to recruit other talent, because mm-hmm. if there are women out there who are available, not under contract, and are considering, you know, do I want to sign with AEW? Do I want to keep what I'm doing, what I'm doing? And, you know, their thought before was, well, if I go there, you know, am I really going to be used well? Or am I just going to be on dark? Am I going to get opportunities to wrestle the kinds of matches that I want to have? I think you show off a main event like this, and there are talents out there who are going to look at that and say, okay, that's something I want to do. And if this company is going to give me the platform to do something like that, then yeah, I'm in. So I think it's a, I think it's a big tent pole kind of event that we saw last night. And uh, I wasn't really sold on the idea of having a named dynamite so soon after a pay-per-view, <laughs> uh, but they won me over. They absolutely won me over with this. I thought it was a really good episode in general capped off by one of the best main events we've ever seen. Yeah, it it yeah, just match of the year candidate. I think it's up. I think it has it's to gotta be. be. It's got to yeah. be. Um, next year we actually will do our our award show, and we will make note of these match of the years. But man, I want to. I can't wait for uh to go back and watch this match because I I want to rewatch it to see see all these spots. Joel, what was your? You mentioned the uh the move onto the ladder, but what was your favorite spot or or no through the table? What was your favorite spot in this match? Um, I mean, there were so many times that I thought the match was ending. Uh, Mm -hmm. You mentioned the powerbomb onto the thumbtacks, and I really expected that to end the match. That felt like a finale. And I was also struck by, you know, usually when you go into thumbtacks, you're doing some kind of a move where you can take your own bump instead of being given a bump by the other person. (laughs) And, you know, this was, you know, Britt just had to, to... hold on and be like, all right, this is happening. And uh, that whole sequence that resulted from that. um, But I think my very favorite thing was the innovation of Thunder Rosa escaping from the lockjaw by rolling Brit backwards Mm -hmm. back onto the thumbtacks because, (laughs) you know, that it looked, it seemed like, okay, she's got her, her signature submission on there's no way that uh, Rosa can get to the ropes. Like, if this is how this match ends, I'm okay with that. This this works for me. 
And then, you know, Rosa pulled out this awesome counter that I didn't yeah. see coming and it made perfect sense. And uh, I just, I loved it. I could talk about this match all night. Yeah, well, you stole my spot. That was my favorite spot because I have to imagine r- slowly rolling onto the thumbtacks hurts more. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I just, oh, and I want to give props to them. Usually when we see men entering hardcore matches or last man standing matches, they're wearing blue jeans. They're wearing, uh, you know, their steel-toed boots and like shirts and stuff. They wrestled in their normal gear, which has a lot of exposed skin. Like there was not really many places for those thumbtacks to be like, eh, that's not really going to get me that bad. Like I, Britt Baker probably had 25% of those thumbtacks in her back. Yeah. That looked really painful. Yeah. I, I feel like we, we could keep talking, but I feel like we should move on here, Joel, but yeah, let's, uh, let's transition to something else that was painful for me. Uh, and I'm going to throw a stock down at what I like to call the promo parade. And uh, I'm referring to a segment that started out with uh, Tony Schiavone bringing out Darby and Sting, who were, you know, in the midst of, of cutting a promo and, and Darby Allen issuing a challenge to any member of the Dark Order who wants to step up and challenge him for the TNT title. Uh, And then they were interrupted by Lance Archer and Jake Roberts, who were there for some reason I don't understand. Uh, And then they were interrupted (laughs) by Team Taz. And Team Taz was interrupted from within Team Taz by Brian Cage, who wanted to do his own thing. And I did like his segment of this, but just the whole thing, it's like, I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to be paying attention to. I don't know what actually matters out of a segment like this because when you have you know about 10 people out on stage and everybody's trying to talk and cut a promo and nobody actually gets to complete a thought that they have uh it's just not really compelling television the only thing that i really took away from this segment is that brian cage uh, is kind of going his own way and and not going along with the team taz company line and uh, I think that's an interesting development. But overall, like, can we not do this segment? Like, <laughs> I was ready for Kanye West to come out here and uh, talk about Beyonce for a little well, bit. Well, no we one just, was getting an award. So, you know, <laughs> we're just interrupting people. Um, yeah, it was a little much. It was a little crowded. Um, I know that sometimes when they have these kind of mini pay-per-views on TV, because they're so match heavy, they kind of cram stuff in where they can. And this felt like, like you said, a way to get these people on TV to get their stories uh, to continue. This is where um, something like Elevation can come into play. The continued use of being the elite or their social accounts. Like you could have had pretty much everything in this segment on one of those other platforms. And it would have you would have been able to continue the story. And then just next week you say, okay, to recap. You know, here's something you might have missed and then just kind of pop in and say, hey, look, this happened or just save it for next week because this was a match heavy kind of pay-per-view type show. So, yeah, I I, I get that. Um, I do find the Brian Cage thing to be extremely interesting because if he's done with Team Taz, it makes sense because what has Team Taz done for Brian Cage since he debuted? <laughs> Team Not Taz just lot. loses. They just lose. And that's okay. It's fine. But we both love Brian Cage. We've, we lost our minds when he debuted last year. I want more for Brian Cage. Now, 
maybe we can get Team Taz in a feud where they actually come away with the victory and get the W's. But um, until then, yeah, who, who knows? Who knows? So let's uh, let's get back to the positive and, and talk about something that we both liked. And, and this is kind of a multi-segment stock up, and it's a stock up to the Young Bucks, uh, Omega, Good Brothers, Mox, and Kingston story, which was kind of the storyline that ran through the entire episode. This is something that Dynamite does a lot that I really enjoy, is that there is one cohesive storyline that everything else is kind of happening around. So we got the Bucks and Don Callis in a backstage segment uh, early on in the show. I think it was actually the first segment after Cody's match with Penta. And then, you know, we got this Mox and Kingston promo backstage. They had a match with the Good Brothers. After that, uh, they're kind of ambushed by Kenny Omega. And who comes out to keep uh, John Moxley from getting murdered? <laughs> the Young Bucks. And they yeah. come out and they stop the you know, the killing that was going on in the ring. And then they refused to give the too sweet salute to the other members of the Bullet Club. So uh, I found this to be a really interesting story. And it's felt like the Bucks have been drifting away from Kenny Omega and that the elite is kind of falling apart. And this was, this felt significant. This felt like a significant development. And each segment was good on its own merits. Yeah, it, it definitely left, uh left me very intrigued and i love don Callis just kind of talking about how you guys aren't elite anymore you know you you're just a tag team with what do you say flashy pants <laughs> shiny pants um so i you say drifting away this this has been a manipulation by the invisible hand here like this isn't the bucks drifting away this has been a proactive decision by don Callis to remove the bucks from the picture here and when this split comes, you know, becomes physical, uh, I, it, it's going to be great. And I feel like we're not that far away from it. And I'm just kind of wondering how this plays out. Like, how is this match going to work if it leads to a match or what's going to be what's going to be the moment here? Like, we're getting close. We're getting close. The Bucks getting in Kenny's face kind of basically sounding like this isn't you This like. This isn't what we do. And uh, yeah, I, I, it definitely, I think AEW has a really good, they do a really good job of extending stories without making it feel like they're stretching it too far. Like this Kenny stuff with the Bucks has been going on for a while. You probably could have made a case that Omega and Moxley and now Kingston probably could have come to an end at some point too, or at least the, the Omega Moxley stuff. But it seems fresh, even though we're still having Omega and Moxley doing stuff here. So um, all this worked really well, and in my opinion. So I agree with you. And um, I'm just curious of I really I I don't really have a good grasp on AEW booking right now because they keep surprising me. Like if we go back to the Inner Circle stuff last week, this this week, like I'm having trouble guessing where they're going, and that makes me excited. Yeah, that's definitely a good thing. Yeah, uh, I want to talk seeing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about the match itself. Uh, and something that I complained about last week was the kind of lack of, of damage that mm -hmm. uh, Omega seemed to sustain. And Moxley here did the complete opposite and was selling his ass off 
during this entire match with the Good Brothers. And it was a match that was characterized by Moxley and Kingston just taking devastating tag team move after devastating tag team move from the Good Brothers. And then finally scraping out a win via a small package. And, you know, just a a really cool way to tell this story where their whole character is like they're they're gritty and they don't give up and you know they're they were put in a situation where neither one of them is completely healthy after being attacked last week and then mox is you know just shortly removed from this brutal match that he had with kenny omega and then they're in there with the good brothers who are completely 100 fine and the Good Brothers should have an advantage and they did have an advantage. And I like that storytelling continuity that really helped me with these segments and helped me to get invested in what was going on. It felt like a big deal when after the match, Kingston is being attended to by Doc Sampson and he's like, just get me in the ring, get me in the ring. I need to be in the ring with Mox, get me in the ring with Mox. And, you know, that just, it shows how closely these two characters have bonded through this situation and how reignited their friendship is. So I thought this was really cool and I'm really digging this Mox and Kingston stuff. The promo I thought was hilarious. Mm-hmm. I loved it. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm here to see where this is going. And I think this can kind of veer off in its own direction a little bit. Mm-hmm. Once we get more into the Omega versus the Bucks sort of scenario, if that's where we're going. Yeah, you definitely could, you know, have Moxley and Kingston feud with, you know, for the former family members, Big Money Matt. You could, well, we still don't know the Christian angle, which maybe now that I was wondering the balance between Omega, the Good Brothers and the Bucks is off by one. Maybe that's where Christian fits in going forward. So uh, they definitely can, can take this a, 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 a few different ways. I like the, I like the Moxley Kingston pairing because it Moxley was going to lose to Omega in that, that death match. We knew that going into it, but it keeps him relevant. It keeps him high on the card. It doesn't feel like he dropped any lost any heat because of it. So, you know, other than the goofy, no explosion, which I, no one's talking about anymore. I don't see anyone bringing that up. So good job, AEW. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be fun. I like where it's, I like, I like the possibilities here. All right. Well, you mentioned Christian Cage. We want to talk about Christian Cage. So why don't we jump into lightning round? Lightning round. So there were a lot of kind of big things that happened on this episode of Dynamite that I think there was so much that it's hard to know what to pay attention to. Uh, I was really impressed with a lot of the promo work, but nothing impressed me more than Christian Cage mm-hmm. getting on the mic for the first time, really, and, and cutting a real promo in AEW and just reminding everybody who the fuck he is and how good of a talker he is. Yeah. What did you think of this promo? It reminded me of TNA Christian Cage. Uh, he was never he was never used right in WWE, and you know we've seen like the best the best summer of Christian Cage's life, or sorry WWE life was when he feuded with Randy Orton. And he was a slimy shit heel. This promo came off like a badass who is here to kick some ass. I love this promo. I was gonna bring it up first if you didn't. So. Yeah, really, really good stuff here. 
always been an underrated talker on the mic. And he, that what minute and a half promo really just caught me and drew me in. And I think that's what you want to do. So yeah, props here. I never thought I wanted to see a Christian cage versus Kenny Omega match. Never crossed my mind, but holy shit. Now I do. (laughs) Yeah, for real. This, uh, this was really good. And Grizzled veteran status achieved. I liked the way that he structured this promo by saying, I'm not going to answer your question right away. We're going to get to it, (laughs) but I'm going to ramble a little bit first. And setting those expectations caused me to not be thinking about, wait, is he actually answering the question or is he just talking right now? So it was a masterclass in setting expectations and then fulfilling expectations all in one promo. Really, really liked what he did there and the delivery was just so good you know he's speaking very quickly but also very precisely in a way that's very difficult to do and he didn't do any of those common promo mistakes where it's like you meant to say one thing but you said a different word and it technically works but it wasn't what you were going for and i was just very impressed with i mean it it shows you know he's got a million years experience in the business and he's, he's very good to borrow a Sean Spearsism, He's very good. I also think Christian has a better old man look than edge. Just saying like, I think he looks better at 47, 48, however old he is than edge does. I so. think Christian looks more like his younger self than edge. I think edge looks more different. Um, I, they're, things to like from both. And I think it comes down to a matter of preference, but I I will give you that Christian looks more like himself. Edge definitely has changed a lot. And I think I mentioned last week, I think it helps him be a more credible contender because he looks younger. He looks like kind of what we looked when he looked like when we were kids, except, you know, a little grayer, a little scruffier. Um, but yeah, I'm always going to pick Christian over Edge, and you're always going to take Edge <laughs> over Christian. We know that dynamic. It's, I mean, you're allowed to be wrong, but we know this dynamic. <laughs> All right, let me pick up something on the uh, little old lightning round here. What do you think of the Pinnacle? Um, and the name, I don't really. I mean, I tend to not like faction names until we're a few months into it. Like I. The Inner Circle, okay, it was fine. And then it grew on me. I'm like, okay, this is a cool cool name. My biggest issue is that their t-shirt and their logo looks like it was made in, like, Photoshop on, like, Microsoft Paint. Like, it looks so freaking generic. But I loved the promo from MJF. It was super reminiscent of Jericho introducing the Inner Circle on the second episode of Dynamite, which I was at, um, to the point where I even went back to watch that. I had to pause Dynamite just to see. And it literally is the same thing, breaking down each member of the group, what they bring. And then the leader of the group putting themselves over at the end. And Joel, I texted you. This is similar. AW doesn't do things just for fun. Like that had to be on purpose. It's, it was similar, but MJF is better. Oh, well, yeah. (laughs) Yes. MJF is better than all of us. And we all know it. I mean, that's my main takeaway is that, you know, MJF was 
playing the Chris Jericho role from back in October of 2019 when the inner circle first came together and he did a much better job. And that I think was one of the best promos that I've seen from him um, ever. Uh, I, I think he had his uh, state of the company address that I thought was really good um, yeah. or a state of the industry address, whatever it was. I forget what the title of it was, um, but just really, really good stuff from him. And I still kind of waiting to see where this goes. I'm not completely sold on this group, but I I'm definitely more intrigued after seeing the way that they were channeling the Ric Flair, you know, jet flying limousine riding aesthetic with mm-hmm. the, their arrival at the beginning of the episode, the promo stealing the inner circles locker room. I mean, this could get very interesting very quickly. I think part of the issue is I don't think there's a great foil for them at the moment. I was just about to say that. Yeah. uh, I mean, unless it's the dark order, I'm not that interested in the inner circle. So hopefully they dispatch the inner circle and move on from that pretty quickly because, you know, this is what I'm more interested in now. So. Yeah, I don't, I was going to say the thing. There's no real good group of faces. You know, I don't want to stick on the, the face heel thing again, but there's not a, a protagonist here that we can really have against the, the inner circle heel. That would make sense. So yeah, it makes sense to maybe knock out the inner circle and hell, maybe, maybe MJF targets Darby Allen and that pulls in sting or that pulls in Moxley and Kingston. Like you're going to need, if you don't have a big group that can oppose them, you have to basically what WWE did with the Nexus. You need to form a coalition of people to face that team. And I think that, would be a better way to go than force feeding us the inner circle. Cause I don't want to really like we've been talking for a long time that we think the inner circle probably needed to end anyways. So like, I don't know, but uh, I think if this is the end game of everything MJF has done up to this point is to get MJF the head of a faction and a true main of true main eventer where he, he's a main eventer, what I'm saying, but elevates him higher than, okay, cool. Let's go. I think they all looked intimidating. Like that little look they had tonight was really good. Um, I thought Tully is probably the second best speaker in that group. I know Sean Spears can do it, but let's be honest. So having that veteran presence there is is awesome. So yeah, we'll just have to see who they pair him up with and, and what kind of uh, storytelling and matches we get out of this. Indeed. Well, I'm going to engage in a uh, futile question here and i'm going to ask you did you watch aew dark elevation the first episode this week i did not it's been a weird week <laughs> <laughs> like i said and, futile question futile question well, but and here's the thing I, I i was like what's the differentiator here so joel sell me on it because it just the, seems the, like the people don't want to hear your excuses not uh, excuses sell me on it like you watched it right why yeah, should and, why should i care about this more than aw dark so i i I think it's more connected to Dynamite than Dark is. And uh, I wanted to highlight a particular segment that was, that actually, you know, got the wrestling Twitterverse talking, which was uh, Tony Khan coming out as an authority Mm -hmm. figure, not playing a character, but just coming out as himself, totally exasperated with Kenny Omega and his antics and making a match uh, 
between Matt Seidel and Kenny Omega for next week's episode of Dynamite. And if they're going to have tie-ins that connect to the storylines that are going on and the big, important title-holding characters within Dynamite, I'm a lot more interested. Uh, In terms of other general takeaways, a lot of women's matches and women's matches that were given a decent amount of time. So that was something I was really encouraged to see. And uh, Paul White, is uh is good well we know that <laughs> I, I just want a t-shirt that says paul white is good um <laughs> what what was the runtime like was it was it a nice condensed hour sadly was it... it was two hours long and i'm, I'm hoping Christ. i'm hoping that that was simply because it was the first episode and they wanted to do it up big uh let's Let's, if you're out there listening, anyone, please, for the love of God, one nice hour. I watched every single episode of AEW Dark until they started being an hour and a half, an hour and 45 minutes, two hours, and they would be advertising 13 matches tonight, 18 matches tonight. I don't want that. And I get that maybe there are people out there who do, but, you know, Give me, with AEW Dark Elevation, give me an hour of relevant content, something that I can have as a true companion piece to Dynamite, and I'll be a happy, happy fan. I'd be okay if it was just so, if we knew exactly how long it would be each and every week. Like, if we knew this was an hour and 30 minute program, okay, I can schedule that out. But when they started transitioning like to Dark being longer, some weeks it was like an hour and a half, hour, 40 minutes. Some weeks it was two hours. Like, just tell me exactly how long it's going to be. I'll fit it in my schedule so we can, uh, you know, report on it and talk about it. But yeah, yeah. Two hour show on on YouTube. When it's a two hour show on TNT, TBS. Okay, I'll watch it. I'll be in. But until then. Eh. All right. What else you All got? Right. You're up. Oh, I'm trying to think. Oh, um, I really enjoyed the Penta and Cody match. Um, loved Cody nailing the Canadian Destroyer payback. And I know we talked about how like Penta can be separate from Phoenix and Pack right now, and they can do different characteristics. the The post match beatdown of uh, Cody was a little further than just oh. He's just still hot from the ladder match. Like that was kind of <laughs> heelish to just go after the shoulder post match. So, um, yeah, I don't know. And, uh, I, I'm curious to see where it goes, but it's, it still confuses me. My buddy that I've known since I was in middle school texted me about that segment last week. And he's like, it's nice to know your moral compass is still in place from 15 years ago when we were kids. <laughs> because we went to see Chronicles of Riddick when we were going into our freshman year of high school. And I was so mad because I did not know who the good guys were. It was the good, bad guys versus the bad, bad guys. And I just, I need, I just need my heroes, man. Like wrestling. Sometimes I just want to watch a good old fashioned hero triumphing over evil and wrestling should be that (laughs) i'll see the problem is that you didn't recognize uh one of the rules which is that carl urban is in that movie and when carl urban is in a movie you root for carl urban that's just you know (laughs) all right all right if we're talking about that i'm going to doom and i'm rooting for the rock in doom okay i'm still rooting for carl urban (laughs) you also have to root for him knowing that he's never going to win 
Um, so <laughs> anyway, Penta Wait, and Cody. <laughs> Penta and Cody. Um, we have a, a, a match where I felt like Cody's offense was on full display. This felt like a complete mm-hmm. showcase of everything that Cody has added to his repertoire since leaving the other wrestling company and going on the indies. We saw him hit a top rope standing Rana on Penta that I've never seen him do before. He hit mm-hmm. a picture perfect Cody cutter and yes. just had several spots in this match that felt like things that I didn't, I wouldn't have thought he was capable of two years ago. And, you know, I mean, even in, thinking about what he did in in Ring of Honor, he was nowhere close to this. In New Japan, he was nowhere close to this. And this is what Cody does. He just gets better all the time. And I know Christian Cage says he's going to outwork everyone. Uh, I don't think you can outwork Cody Rhodes. I just don't think you can. (laughs) So hopefully we get a showdown between the two of them at some point, because I think that would be excellent. And uh, my money's on Cody. Yeah, honestly, is is Christian in the top five of people who can outwork people in AEW? I I don't know. <laughs> he's um, no slouch. He's no slouch. He's no slouch. He's no slouch. But like, that's setting that's that's giving yourself a really big goal if your goal is to outwork everyone in AEW. <laughs> <laughs> if this was like two thousand five, two thousand six, Raw, okay, I think he could do it. So, well, even going by his workhorse definition, he's got to start with Jungle Boy because Jungle Boy has had like 63 matches since AEW started. So, yeah, Jungle Boy is here to <laughs> just just put on bangers and get paid. Scorpio Sky has had like 115 matches. Yeah. You yeah. Know. So, OK, Christian, you know, you, that's a number I made up. Don't fact check me. I'm not fat. Yeah. In WWE, you probably would have worked a few matches a year. You're going to work a few matches a week. Get ready for it. <laughs> um, I'm ready for it. Uh, God. Oh, but the last thing about this Cody thing. Yeah, he needs he needed to show out tonight, because if you're calling yourself the prince of pro wrestling and you're fighting the Lord of Lucha Libre, you got to show out. So props here. It doesn't feel like this is done either, which is great because Pentagon's amazing. You sold me on Pentagon years ago with uh, Lucha Underground. So more Pentagon. Hashtag more Pentagon. <laughs> All right. Well, the last thing that I had that I wanted to talk about, uh, we're going to go to the other side of the Lucha Bros. And Ray Phoenix had a really awesome match with Angelico. Speaking of Lucha Underground, uh, two former mm-hmm. talents from that company. And uh, I thought this was one of the most technical matches that I've seen Ray Phoenix work. And of course it was because he's wrestling on Helico, the (laughs) transitions from different holds and different spots were just so impressive. And I love the way on Helico used Ray Phoenix's momentum against him. You know, Ray's trying to fly around the ring and do all this stuff. And on Helico is like, no, I'm just going to grab your leg and then twist it into a pretzel. And uh, you're going to have to deal with that. And, you know, of course, Ray Phoenix managed to get to the ropes every time, but it was really great. And I loved the way this match was put together and I uh, just really enjoyed the technical wrestling. I'm, I'm a dork for that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. fully on display. Yeah, nothing, nothing to add. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joel, was was Hangman Page on the show tonight? I don't recall seeing him anywhere. Hangman Page was not. He had the night off. 
Hey, good for him. Probably spending all that Matt Hardy bucks at the compound. Um, yeah, I got I got nothing else, dude. I think think we covered mostly everything, but uh yeah. I, I I'm feeling good this week, dude. I, I got that uh that first shot in my arm. Congratulations. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be immune to this COVID thingy within like five weeks. So I don't like needles, but you know what? Three seconds, the nurse just the nurse distracted me like I was a fucking child. <laughs> like <laughs> she 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 moved where she was standing, so I had to look my head to the right more so I wasn't looking at my left arm. And then she just started asking me questions and I was like, okay, um, you know, when's this going to happen? And she literally was like, it's in your arm right now. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Oh, you're right. Okay. That's awesome. Um, yeah, but you know, it, it obviously, you know, it's, it's been a rough year for everyone. And, you know, while I was there and waiting in line, it just, you know, felt this like sense of relief in a way, just because of how, (laughs) crazy everything's been so my message for this week is get vaccinated people get it it's not gonna change your dna it's not a chip get the fucking vaccine for your sake and all your loved ones sake it's like a master class for your immune system yes yes and i didn't really even for ad reads you know for when we hit the big time Oh yeah, we need to have more than like twenty listeners <laughs> before we can get ad reads. Um, but if we're gonna do ad reads, can we do Blue Chew? <laughs> How about not? <laughs> can we have the distinction of being the only wrestling podcast that does not have Blue Chew as a sponsor? I mean, if they're doling out that Blue Chew money, I want some of that Blue Chew money, man. There's a lot of there's a lot of money in getting dicks hard. <laughs> and on that note. Join the dark order. Uh, join the dark order, guys. Uh, bye. <laughs> Remember, everybody, life's a work. Duck the clothesline. And happy wrestling. Bye.